It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Thank you so much for joining us on this Wednesday. I got some fluffy clouds rolling around, chance for some storms tonight. We'll check in with Paul coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But before that, our roundtable discussion will try to get us all uh, in tune to what we're going to talk about here on the midday program in the next couple hours. And we'll do that in sections. Jason Jorgensen is here. Dave Schroeder is here. And Susan Littlefield, she will give us uh, some of the information on what farms got going for us here in the next couple of hours. Well, thanks, Susan? Scott. Here's what's happening on the midday from the farm team kicking it all off at 12:19. I speak with Undersecretary Greg Ibaugh as we look at the recent factors of the findings of cattle trade and what's been happening with Holcomb and then obviously COVID-19. As Undersecretary Ibaugh is here at the Nebraska Cattlemen's Association summer business meeting. Then at 12:45, Alex will step in with factors influencing Nebraska's changes when it comes to land values and wrapping it up Shaley Peters talks about the weed management field days so that's a midday on the Wednesday from the farm team all right thank you Susan I appreciate it uh, we turn it over to Jason Jorgensen and uh, Jason uh, got to hear from Nebraska's new OC yeah Matt Lubick uh, he's the new offensive coordinator also in charge of wide receivers he was a guest last night on sports nightly if you missed some of that we'll play it back for you coming up at sports uh, I expect he's He's raring to get going. And for a lot of people that are college football fans, of course, they recognize that the name. His dad was a longtime coach at uh, Colorado State, right? That he was. And uh, Matt had worked with uh, Scott Frost out in Oregon. Now, as it stands right now, the Huskers are supposed to report on August 7th. Uh, Practice is supposed to begin uh, on the 10th. Hopefully that happens. Speaking of the schedule, uh, the NCAA has put out a blanket waiver for all major colleges. In fact, they can begin their seasons earlier, which seems a little odd to me, in which we've seen a lot of conferences push things back, trying to wait out the virus. Uh, Kansas and Oklahoma have already moved up the date of their first games to uh, August 29th, trying to get a game of the books, I guess. Mm-hmm. But there's no clear directive or policy here from, from anyone. You look, Take a look at the NAIA yesterday, and Well, they voted to push most of the championships of their sports to the spring, except for football, which they will talk about on Friday. Well, and and let's be honest, for a lot of these people, that's the cash cow, and they're worried about losing that money, too. So, Mm. NAIA also said, well, some conferences can go ahead and do what they want in the fall, but their championships will be in the spring. Oh, boy. It's a tough time. Yeah, no unified voice right now, that's for sure. All right, thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Let's turn it over to Dave Schroeder. And uh, better news today, at least, stocks up a little bit. Yes, they are uh, inching uh, upward in early trading on Wall Street, and we'll tell you why coming up in our business report. Also, uh, some news on the uh, remdesivir. That's that uh, uh, medication that is uh, helpful for COVID-19 patients as well. And uh, then there's uh, some shuttle diplomacy on Capitol Hill taking place over the coronavirus relief package that has yet to uh, uh, come out. And that's much anticipated as well. And much debated, for sure. Absolutely. Dow up 95 points. All right. Thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate it. It is 84 degrees right now here at the Lexington studios of KRVN. 
11.44, time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. we got Paul Perkins in studio with us and uh, some pesky rain showers that don't quite want to make it out of the state just yet. Exactly, yeah, just kind of one of the first waves of showers and thunderstorms moving through over south-central and southeastern areas of Nebraska. Most of this activity right now along and east of the line from Columbus to Utica down to about the Hebron area and then points off towards the east and southeast. That rain lifting off towards the east and northeast, and we do have some flood warnings associated with that. Earlier there was a flood advisory just to the southeast of Hastings. That was allowed to expire at 11.15, but there is currently a flash flood warning for Thayer County in South Central Nebraska until 3.15. Emergency management reporting that water is flowing over Highway 136 to the west of Deschler. Results of some heavy rain across the area. Up to two inches of rain has already fallen and an additional one to two inches is possible. So flash flooding already occurring and some locations that will experience some flooding include the Hebron area, also Deschler, Davenport, Bruning, Alexandria, Carlton, and Belvedere. And one other report here, uh, that we, yeah, once again, we have had water flowing over the Highway 136, and it's out of the ditch near, right near uh, west of Deschler in south-central Nebraska. But that's where some of the heavier rains can continue to occur with that system. Otherwise, we have temperatures warming nicely. Most of us on into the low 80s, still some upper 70s holding on in towards the Tri-Cities area. And a lot of cloud cover still over much of eastern Nebraska into northeast Kansas, along and east of line from Ainsworth down to Grand Island and the Hebron area, and then, of course, into northeast Kansas, closer to some of those showers and thunderstorms. There's also a flash flood warning towards Marysville, Kansas, and northeast Kansas for Nemaha County and Marshall County up until 3.30, thanks to about 1 to 3 inches of rain falling there and flash flooding continuing to occur. So, stormy already. But we will see more storms develop as we head into tomorrow here. Just lots of moisture to work with right now. And it looks like over much of going from where we are almost all the way to the east coast, there's a line of a lot of moisture. And it looks like it's, yeah, it's going to be fairly active thanks to a front that's moving through the region. And uh, that's going to be the focal point just off to our southeast for some very active weather. And as you mentioned, a lot of moisture to work with those dew points currently in the upper 60s to the low 70s. Now, Thunderstorms likely today, but they will be fairly hit and miss as we see that lead disturbance off low pressure track to the east. Any rain amounts in many areas not expected to be overly heavy. Now, some storms could be strong to severe through tonight with a low-end marginal risk in place from the Storm Prediction Center mainly in central and western areas. Afternoon highs will be slightly cooler and dependent on the cloud cover for today, but it looks like we are going to see a lot more clearing as the afternoon goes on. Thunderstorms become more widespread for tonight through tomorrow as that main area of low pressure slowly tracks through the region. Tomorrow actually looks to be our best period for some rain. Total rain amounts likely to range three-quarters of an inch to an inch and a half. Now, some areas that saw a lot of rain over the weekend, extreme southern Nebraska and in northern Kansas, that's where we had some heavy rain and flooding over the weekend, and that's where we could probably see some of our higher amounts. Severe weather, though, not expected for tomorrow. Thunderstorm chances decrease for tomorrow night, and to just a slight chance on Friday, a building ridge of high pressure to our west will cut off that main storm track and keep 
Friday night into early next week, mainly dry. Temperatures tomorrow through early next week will be nearly 10 degrees cooler than normal. No major heat expected in our long-term forecast. Nebraska and Kansas temperatures likely to be seasonal to slightly cooler than normal from Monday through August 11th. A break from the heat on the way. Early August highs in central Nebraska on average, usually in the mid to upper 80s with average overnight lows in the low 60s. And from the middle of next week through August 11th, rainfall should be near normal to on occasion slightly above normal in Nebraska and Kansas. Kind of matching up with a typical pattern here of where we see a lot of heat and dry weather in July. And then August kind of is uh, usually helps to rescue us on the rain totals and cooler weather. Anyhow. We'll take it. We'll take it. Exactly. Now, weather factors affecting market trade include big differences for rain chances in the Midwest and favorable weather for northern crop areas. The Corn Belt will be mostly dry with near or above below normal temperatures. Despite some variability in Midwest crop conditions, corn and soybeans progressing through the reproductive and filling stages without heat stress. A nearly stationary front across the southern U.S. will remain the focus for some thunderstorms the rest of this week. Rain totals the next five days could reach two to five inches or more from the central and southern plains eastward all the way to the mid-Atlantic coast, as Scott kind of mentioned earlier. Across the plains, widespread rain continues to reduce the drought coverage and intensity. Some lingering drought exists across the central and southern high plains. In the Canadian prairies and their crop areas, they will remain mainly dry and cool for another day. Scattered rain and very warm to hot weather in store for tomorrow through the weekend, but heat stress limited by occurrences of rain. Overall conditions will be very very favorable. Okay, so I uh, expect uh, some scattered stuff coming up here for this evening because uh, uh, it just looks like, again, like we talked about, there's stuff out there. It's just... Again, not horribly organized. Exactly. Yeah, we got this one wave moving through, and then the main wave will be moving through for later on tonight into tomorrow, especially tomorrow. Okay. All right. Very good, Paul. Appreciate it. Thank you. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. District. Investigating pricing in the beef industry. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. The Department of Agriculture last week released an update on its investigation of cattle markets. American Farm Bureau Federation Congressional Relations Director Scott Bennett says that report examined the market price disparities. In the report, USDA outlines exactly what has happened in the volatile cattle markets since the Holcomb fire in August of 2019 and the volatility due to COVID-19. In addition to the report, there are some policy recommendations that USDA feels could be addressed both administratively and legislatively to further reduce the volatility in the cattle markets. Bennett says Farm Bureau is now reviewing the USDA policy recommendations. We are analyzing these policy recommendations and certainly hope to have a robust discussion, not only with legislators, but the administration on exactly what we can do to make sure that these markets are not as volatile and they are fair for our cattle producers. Meanwhile, Nebraska Senator Deb Fisher, an active cattle rancher herself, is a member of the Senate Agriculture Committee. She says the volatility in beef price has only gotten worse since the fire in Kansas last year. 
we saw something I think we really hadn't seen to this extent before with the pricing issue. It's not a new issue, but producers were very, very concerned over what they felt was a greater extent of, I guess you could say, manipulation by the packers on prices that were being paid. When you have four big packers that control over 80% of the market, there's going to be some issues there. Fisher says given everything that's happened over the past year, that beef producers have been pushed too far. She wrote a letter to USDA back in April and asked them to expand their investigation beyond the Holcomb fire and into the potential unfair market practices happening during the COVID-19 pandemic. Fisher and several of her colleagues wrote a second letter to the U.S. Justice Department on the same topic. I wrote a letter and had 18 of my colleagues on, both Republicans and Democrats, where we asked the Department of Justice to open up an investigation into any kind of suspected price manipulation behavior that is out there within the cattle industry as well. With Department of Justice investigations, obviously you don't hear about those until they are ready to bring out their conclusions. She talks about an ideal outcome of these investigations for U.S. cattle producers. Well, the ideal outcome is more transparency. To be able to know with a little more clarity how the market's working and to make sure it's working in a way that's fair, in a way that is open and transparent so people can market their cattle and make those decisions that affect their families and their businesses. Fisher says pricing has been a topic of conversation for quite some time in the beef industry. So I think that's why it's so important for the Department of Justice, the investigation that they're doing, that they can gather information, that they can gather evidence. We need to know if there's any kind of illegal activity that has been occurring or has not been occurring. We want to make sure that our federal antitrust laws are adhered to. There's laws on the books. We want to make sure that those are followed. That again, Nebraska Senator Deb Fisher, a member of the Senate Agriculture Committee. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio. This report brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Time for one last check, or one more, I shouldn't say last. We'll do that at 520. One more check of your midday headlines and to do it on the sports side. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Brandon. Well, the NCAA is allowing all major college football programs to begin their seasons as early as August 29th. The association confirmed that the Football Oversight Committee had requested a blanket waiver to permit any school to push up the start of their season if they wish. Now, the official start of the year had been Labor Day weekend with a few games scheduled on the 29th. Some schools, however, and conferences are working on delaying the start of their seasons while others try to get a head start. Kansas and Oklahoma have both recently moved up their opening games against FCS opponents to that date. NU hopes to be playing at some point. New offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach Matt Lubick talks about the talent he has to work with at the receiver position. You know, I'm excited about it, to be honest with you. I, the kids that I've been working with, you know, we spent a ton of time on Zoom, have been awesome. The older guys have been kind of helping out the younger guys. 
I'm really excited about their attitude, and I think we have talent. You know, I haven't seen. I saw these guys in practice for three days, um, and so I was just getting a feel to get to know them. But I love what I saw. Lubick was a guest last night on Sports Nightly, and you is still scheduled to report for camp on August seventh, with the first practice scheduled for August tenth. The NAIA Council of Presidents voted yesterday to postpone the national championships in cross-country, men's and women's soccer, and women's volleyball to the spring. Now, this decision still allows NAIA conferences to compete in the fall and winter if they so choose. The timing of the all-important football national championship will be determined at a meeting coming up this Friday. Good news for high school kids and their parents in Kansas. Fall sports will go on as planned. Thanks to the Kansas State High School Activities Association, the board knocked down a proposal yesterday to push back high school football games until September 8th with a 5-4 vote. The September 8th start date would also have applied to volleyball, boys soccer, and gymnastics. The proposal also would have limited the football season to just eight games. Well, the Yankees will open up a two-game series in Baltimore today after their scheduled games this week in Philadelphia were postponed due to the Marlins' coronavirus issues. The Yankees had already begun driving their equipment back to New York when they got word late yesterday afternoon the Major League Baseball might instead send them to Baltimore. And that's a look at sports. For more, you can check that out at krvn.com. have seen an increase in positive COVID-19 cases recently. Two Rivers Health Department Director Jeremy Eshelman said that there are a few reasons for this increase. There's a couple factors going into this, though, for sure. One is we're seeing overall less people getting tested and people getting tested. That's part of it. I think most of it we're seeing from our disease investigation side is individuals that are going out socializing, clusters of uh, events from weight rooms to parties and things like that. That's typically where we're seeing most of people having exposures. Last week, Two Rivers reported the 10th COVID-19 related death in the district with an additional 44 positive cases in Buffalo County, 20 positive cases in Dawson County. An eastern Nebraska man has been sentenced to up to nine years in prison for causing a crash last year that led to the death of a Louisville woman. The Omaha World Herald reports that 36-year-old Jade Gunn of Murray was sentenced this week to seven to nine years in prison after earlier pleading guilty to being drunk when he committed motor vehicle homicide and for failing to stop at the scene of a crash with injuries. Investigators say Gunn was drunk on June 30, 2019, when he failed to stop at a stop sign and collided with a sport utility vehicle. The driver of the SUV, 58-year-old Tammy Martin, was taken to an Omaha hospital where she died of her injuries 18 days later. Two Nebraska state senators who may have been exposed to the coronavirus have isolated themselves from their fellow lawmakers, taking seats in a distant upper balcony so they can still participate in legislative debate. Senators Adam Morfeld of Lincoln and Julie Slama of Peru separated themselves from the rest of the legislature Tuesday in an abundance of caution. Both lawmakers took seats in a balcony at the back of the legislative chamber, about 40 feet above the main floor. Neither senator had tested positive for the virus or shown any symptoms. Slama tested negative and may return to the main floor of the legislature within a day. Senators in the rear balcony have a microphone available and are able to vote and participate in debate. Although it was slightly delayed this year, the Buffalo Bill Rodeo in North Platte is still on for this year. The rodeo will be held from August 5th through the 8th at the Wild West Arena. 
The rodeo's events will include bareback riding, saddle bronc riding, steer wrestling, and several more. Buffalo Bill Rodeo Chairperson Jack Morris talks about this year's contestant lineup. It literally is like a national finals lineup. I went through the roster yesterday, and in each event of the top 15 contestants, 11 of them are coming to North Platte in each event. So um, it's something we haven't seen for quite a while, but with limited rodeos for those guys to go to, they're trying to go to everyone possible. Tickets can be reserved at NebraskaLandDays.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Laird. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association Summer Business Meeting is underway in Colorado. We talk exports. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dan Hellstrom is president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He's going to be speaking here at the business meeting. So we talked about moving forward with exports, but first the struggles that they've had to go through. Well, I think um, I think one thing's for sure. the uh, It's not business as usual. Um, we're in a new norm. But the, what we've seen in the past six months globally, and it really this whole thing started in Asia, China, Taiwan, some of these areas back in January. And I think what it's, what it's teaching us is that uh, there is still a very robust demand for protein, and specifically high-quality grain-fed U.S. beef. And uh, so I think even by our standards, I'd say the, the demand has been pretty resilient. Now, it's shifted. I mean, the demand is not in the normal channels. I mean, food service has taken a huge hit. We all know that. It's happened here in the U.S. as well. But even the food service operators globally have adjusted. And uh, they've developed online platforms where they didn't have them before. Uh, Pickup to go, but also delivery. And uh, in a matter of days, literally days, some of these food service groups have adapted and now they have robust online platforms that quite frankly will be there once uh, COVID gets back to whatever normal is going to be. So I think this is pretty exciting. Of course, the normal, <clears throat> the normal trends we've seen here in the U.S., same thing throughout Asia and other parts of the world, retail's booming and the concepts are booming. And uh, I think this is, uh, it bodes well for demand because demand is still there. And as demand does the shift when it comes to protein purchases, they've had to kind of rethink the process. Yeah, no, exactly right. And I think the interesting thing about that is that there was a driver pre-COVID that was really starting to shape demand globally, and that was the demand for convenience. You know, uh, instead of cooking from scratch, you might have some prepared meals or prepared ingredients to make a meal where you can make a meal in 10 or 15 minutes. And these are the sorts of things that are popping up everywhere. Uh, Not only for uh, the younger generation, but for all generations. Uh, People are busy. People don't want to spend two or three hours cooking a meal. Some do, but a lot don't. And, uh, you know, we're seeing that drive the demand. So that was happening pre-COVID. Put COVID on top of it, where there's concern for distancing and and minimal interaction, uh, it's really skyrocketed demand for convenient products uh, in a online or a retail platform. Well, I think um, I think number one, acknowledging that it's not business as usual, and uh, it's really you know even myself, I don't consider myself a techie online techie but uh, we're all learning to in the new world to deal with it and uh, that's the beauty of some of our our offices around the world 
Um, we really learned a lot from our staff in China, our staff in Hong Kong, our staff in Taiwan, the markets that were first hit with this, and we're using that to uh, educate the rest of the world. And even in a, a market like Latin America, Mexico, Central South America, which was one of the last regions to be impacted, they went into lockdown after the U.S. They're still in it today. They've been watching this for four or five months now, and they're that much more well-equipped to deal with the new reality. So it's been pretty... Uh, um, cool in that regard. And Dan will be addressing cattlemen attendees later this afternoon. Well, I think uh, in the export growth and as well as a checkoff uh, update session, we're going to be relaying that, that, that uh, consumption is still there and consumption is still growing. I mean, um, I'll give you a good example. One of the, and it's not a surprise, we we're fully expecting this, but we're taking a large uh, step forward in Japan. With the U.S.-Japan Ag Agreement that went into effect January 1, we are now on a level playing field with the likes of Australia, Canada, Mexico, and we're starting to see shares shift in a big way. So uh, we knew this would happen, and we're, we're really doubling down in terms of our efforts to uh, get more aggressive. And uh, we're starting to see the dividends pay off. You know, through April, our stats were very robust, and um, we're up significantly in all sectors. Um, May was a down month, and this was probably reflective primarily due to the supply chain disruptions with the plants back in May, issue number one. And then issue two, number two was that was about the time Latin America went in their shutdown. So we're in a little bit of a lag here in May and June more than likely, but our forecast for the rest of the year is still very positive. I mean, we're getting ready to revamp food service in a lot of these Asian markets, uh, sort of the comeback, so to speak. And, uh, you know, we're well positioned there. So, yeah, I think July to December, we're very upbeat. And, and we're, despite all the disruption, we're still thinking significant growth for the year. High-quality U.S. beef, uh, and there's nothing better. And, uh, you know, that's, that's our real selling point. But, uh, you know, despite all the disruption, demand is still very robust. And this is the beauty of the way we're set up. We have, uh, we have, 19, we have people in 19 regions around the world. Uh, 75 or so staff, they've been on the ground uh, representing U.S. beef through this whole thing and, uh, and, and adapting with the customer base. They're learning together. That's Dan Hellstrom with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. At the National Cattlemen's Summer Meeting, I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Stocks were rising in early trading on Wall Street today ahead of a Federal Reserve announcement where investors expect the central bank to keep the accelerator floored on its aid for the economy. The Fed is wrapping up a two-day meeting on interest rates, and most economists expect it to keep them at record lows. The Fed said yesterday that it would continue several bond-buying programs through the end of the year to help support the economy. Meanwhile, the European Commission says it has signed a $72 million deal to secure thousands of doses of remdesivir, the only licensed experimental drug to treat people with severe COVID-19. The European Commission says it has bought enough remdesivir sold by Gilead Services to treat about 30,000 patients with serious coronavirus illness for member countries and the United Kingdom. But this month, the U.S. had announced it had signed a deal with Gilead to buy nearly all of that company's production of the drug through September. Numerous public health experts slammed the agreement, calling the U.S. move as being selfish and warned other countries could lose out. 
A day of shuttle diplomacy on Capitol Hill over a coronavirus package produced a few results with stark differences between the $3 trillion proposal from Democrats and $1 trillion counteroffer from Republicans as millions of Americans' jobless benefits, school reopenings, and eviction protections hang in the balance. And four big tech CEOs are set to answer for their company's practices before Congress today as a House panel caps its year-long investigation of market dominance in the industry. Critics question whether the companies stifled competition and innovation and raised prices for consumers. That's a check of your business report. I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. Weed Management Field Days were held virtually this year. Good afternoon. I'm Shaley Peters joining you back here on the Rural Radio Network. Several topics were discussed during the virtual field days this year. Jenny Reese, Extension Educator with Nebraska Extension, will be visiting today about their non-GMO white corn plots. We have several growers throughout the state of Nebraska that are planting non-GMO white corn. And the reason is just for a better market price and the premium that they can receive for it. As we think about that being non-GMO, we don't have as many post options with regards to the use of glyphosate and also Liberty. And so the point of this project is to look at the pre-herbicides, look at how well the residual lasts over time. These are all going to be taken to yield. And so there's only one comparison out here where a post was applied. Next, she breaks down what they applied to each individual plots and some of the results that they saw. So this is considered the weed-free plot. In this case, we've got Acuron as the pre. Again, it was applied on, on May 14th. And then in this case, there was a post Diflexin warrant. So group 4, group 27, um, and also applied. As you look down this plot, the only thing that we have going on here is some fall panicum that came. There's no palmer that we're seeing unless they were coming from the outside rows falling in. So then with this next pre plot, we're comparing just the pre that we had in our previous plot, 2.5 quarts of Acuron. And so you can see here that we do have quite a bit of palmer that came through and you're going to see that in all of these plots as you go across here that the importance of needing a post application with residual as well. But we do have the comparisons just to show you. So this is Acuron 2.5 quarts, and you can see the Palmer coming through, but not as bad as, as some others as we go through these. In this plot, you can see that Atrazine was applied pre, and one thing that you should know about this location is that the Palmer at this location is Atrazine, resistant, glyphosate resistant, and also ALS resistant as well. So you can see that there's a great deal of Palmer in this plot because of that. Okay, so another one of the plots is Harness Max, applied at 2.5 quarts pre. This one had actually pretty good control for being a pre throughout here. Resicor is another one that looked pretty good walking through the plot overall. Another one of the plots that looked really good in this, in this pre-study is Zidua. And as you look down here again, you can see more of the plants more along the row in this case versus in the center of the row. The overall pretty good control for the Zidua. So to wrap this up, what we saw again in this non-GMO white corn study is we were pretty much just looking at the effect of those pre's for the residual, knowing that they can last anywhere from 30 to 45 days. 
And again, that's all based on environmental conditions as well. Some of these, as you go through them, they could be tank mixed together to provide even better control. And ultimately what we'd recommend is that you have the pre with residual followed with a post with residual. And again, we're looking at the impacts of these pre's, how, how long they last and any impacts on yield. Again, Jenny Reese, Extension Educator, discussing their non-GMO white corn plots from this year's virtual weed management field day. You can find all of the videos from this year's field day at agronomy.unl.edu. We're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Radio Network. Let's check in with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. And John, wheat able to divorce itself from the row crops here today, but will there be enough follow-through to be able to continue that tomorrow? Well, yeah, I think we've got some pleasant action here. It's got a little bit of a gold dynamic to it as well, where, you know, it represents food and uh, an overall investment for a lot of folks might be, a, you know, to buy some food security here. We would be the way to do that. Still, nothing I'm, I'm concerned about. We, we probably need to clear 0460. I mean, 460 would be a good place to take off a, a, a purchase you would have made recently. I don't know about shorten there or not. You know, tend to want to sell off in the last month of delivery, the last few weeks. So, you know, I'd stay long the next couple of weeks and then look to sell. Um, as I think corn is most likely being the way the board down here as we, we end August. I'm sure a question weighing on many's mind right now. We see corn that September trying to test that 315 historic low. Where is our next level of support after we break through if we go that far? 301. That's in the May winter. So, you know, i got to think we'll see that level if we take out 315 here. It's not that far. You know, I mean, it's kind of already there uh, in a sense where a dime, a dime down from here is close to, you know, 3%. So, um, I think we're probably going to test it. I think it'll happen sometime over the next 30 days. And then I think the market should find a bid as the you know, crop insurance price levels get quite matched. So, you know, we're at a level where calls actually are pretty attractive here given the time you have. Uh, you know, you get a 340 call option for, I think it basically expires Thanksgiving for, I think it's over about eight cents this morning. So it's 15 away, but it gives you a lot of time and some flexibility should the market be you know, a rally. And especially gives you some exposure to the election and all the bananas. Uh, type of price action is going to come from, from the date leading up to that. The fact that we haven't seen any USDA flash sales over the last two days, tomorrow with the exports data coming from USDA, do you think we'll see positive data there, or could that again turn back to the bears? Mm, we know China buying, so, I mean, I think they were in the market last year, so numbers tomorrow could be okay, but they weren't in, they weren't in the market today, and I, I just think beans are going to have a real difficult time, you know, getting over $9 without Chinese purchases driving it, and you know, the yield story is it's going bigger and smaller. So I think in the next couple of weeks we price in a bigger crop and you know, my thought would be a test of four seventy five or eight seventy five offer some buying opportunity before that. I think you know, it's just isn't the time of the year to want own grain for an upside move. Um, this is a good price, but you gotta be patient. And again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, trading futures and options involve risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors.